You're listening to Sprout Money's Monthly Wrap-Up with Craig Hemke. Well, greetings once again from Sprout Money News, SproutMoney.com. It is Friday, July the 29th. It's time for your monthly wrap-up. And joining us is an old friend everybody always looks forward to hearing from. That's Bob Thompson. Bob is a senior portfolio manager, Thompson Investment Partners at Raymond James in Vancouver, and an old friend of our friend, Eric Sprott. So it's great to have him back. Bob, nice to hear from you again. Good to be on again, Craig. And I think we picked a great time a few days after the Fed meeting. No, no doubt about that. What a, The month is sure ending better than it began. Uh, before we get going, uh, just a couple of things to everybody. Remember, this content is provided free of charge from Sprott Money. So uh, throw them a bone if you can. Give them a like, a share, maybe a subscribe to whichever channel you're listening to. But then also with precious metal prices starting to recover and rebound, it might be time to capitalize on that annual Sprott Summer Sale. It's always one of the biggest sales that Sprott Money has. Great discounts on multiple products, including our best sellers, gold and silver maples. Of course, you can go online to learn more and place an order, but you can also just give everyone at Sprott Money a call by dialing up 888-861-0775. The sale ends August the 7th, so don't mess around. Get there and check it out. Oh, and just one reminder. And Bob, this is probably important to you. August 1 is a, another Canadian holiday? <laughs> we have them about every two weeks. Here Jeez. Canada, Craig. <laughs> a, what a great deal. Um, <laughs> what is it this time, Bob? Is it is it uh, uh, Moosehead Beer Day? What 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 it's it, it's create a create a holiday for so everybody gets a day off in the summer, but I think it's called family day. Family. Close yeah. enough. <laughs> there I bet go. there'll be a lot of families <laughs> knocking back some moose head up there. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, my friend. Um, again, please remember that uh, Sprout Money offices are closed Monday, but that doesn't mean you can't uh, go online this weekend uh, or any other time and check out that great summer sale. All right, Bob. Um, if we'd recorded this call earlier this week, uh, the uh, tone and the tenor might have been a little bit different. We, we saw what we'll probably look back upon as being the low when uh, the biggest gold miner in the world washed out to some of the lowest levels it's been in decades, down 50% in price in three months, that being Newmont, um, with a daily RSI of 13, <laughs> which uh, uh, anything above 70 is overbought and under 30 is oversold, and it was all the way down to 13. Uh, regardless, three days later, We've got the, the statements from Powell and uh, quite a reaction in the markets. What do you make of all this as July comes to an end? It, 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 interesting what you say about uh, Newmont there, just to cover that. You know, been in the business probably 27 years now. And something I've realized over time is that at the end of the day, everything gets destroyed in a bear market. So the big companies hold out but then they finally get destroyed too. And that's what's happened with Newmont here. So that usually signifies the, the, the end of a, of, a, of a bear market. So hopefully that's the case this time as we, as we go along. But, but yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I, as you know, I did a book a few years ago and one of the managers in the book's name was Wayne Deans. And I asked him, I said, what do investors do wrong? And he said, investors' timeframes are way, way, way too short. And I th the reason I bring that up right now is because it really pertains to this precious metals market, right? We didn't know the Fed was going to start to hint at a at a 180 or, or or change from forward guidance to data dependent, which they which they did on uh, uh, earlier this week. But we knew it was going to happen sooner or later. So you know, I've been saying to people, I, 
we don't know whether it's this month, next month, the next month, or six months from now. Who cares? And and if and if right. your net worth and and your portfolio depends upon what the Fed's going to say tomorrow or next month, then you shouldn't be in the market, right? So people should have a longer term um, time frame than they do. So it just so happened that this time, great, the Fed has relinquished a little bit. You know, they 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 might they're they're playing with the market, right? They're trying to say. Okay, should we, should we be really hawkish if the market's getting out of control or or things are things are happening that we don't want to happen? And then you know they'll push the hawkish button again and they'll pull back. But basically, we're in that time frame right now for the next few months where they are going to have to somehow buckle under, right? They won't do a 180 because obviously you lose credibility when you do that. But it'll be a hint here, a hint there, a change of a word, you know, from from again forward guidance to data dependent, and and all this means that what we're going to do is we're going to get a rally in, in gold and silver because that's what happens. That's the sector that takes off the most when um, the, the, the Fed takes their, uh, takes their foot off the pedal. They don't have to reverse 180. Maybe they'll pause a little bit, right? Um, right. We, we, you know, this feels a lot like the end of 2018, right? When, when they were very aggressive and then they suddenly reversed in 2019 and, you know, the gold stocks were up. 100% a lot of the juniors right and right. happened in 2015 the same thing so here we are again four years later and and uh, we're back in the same position so it, we don't know whether it's gonna be this month next month or the next month but I but I presume in the next few months you know things are gonna um, really get a lot more dovish with the with the Fed and, and obviously the market sniffs that out and we've had this this big rally in the last few days yeah I've, I've been telling people at my TF metals report site that uh, this room almost exactly like December of 2018 like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody was expecting higher rates in 19, all the wall street economists were saying the 10 year was going to 5% and all that stuff. But with liquidity collapsing and the stock market down, the fed kind of signaled that things were changing in December mm-hmm. of 18, and then actually put that policy of rate cuts into place by June, about six months later, that would put us uh, December, January, something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe the fed starts cutting again, either way, the cot report. The gold cot oh. report looks almost identical to where it was at the end of 2018. I mean, there are all kinds of similarities. That's incredible. The gold cot report and the silver cot report is, is, oh, is boy. amazing. Boy, you look at that and you're like, you know, isn't it amazing that the, the bullion banks never lose money, right? Isn't right. Funny? So, right. so, so when, when, when they've got the position they've got now, now with your long silver, we're all on the same side of the trade as the bullion banks, which is kind of where you want to be. Right. Right. <laughs> um, I, for, for, for better or for, for not to whatever the reason is, that's where, that's where you want to be. And I, you know, I, I think I should just highlight here, obviously, you know, the, the, the gold and silver stocks and, and, you know, gold did pretty well up until, up until June. Right. And it's still mm-hmm. one of the best performing assets on the year here. If you look at the, you know, a lot of people don't realize you look at the U S market, that was the worst first six months since 1970. So in 52 years. Um, and the interesting thing is, if you in 2008, if you were half in stock and half in bonds, in long bonds, you you kind of broke even. But bonds didn't help you at all in, in the first half of uh, 2022. I mean, the long bond index was down about 27, 26%, which is incredible for, yep. for, for bonds. So you know, there hasn't been a, a worse first six months for bonds. I heard the other day since George Washington was president. So if they had a bond market then, but uh, that's, it's pretty, it's been pretty incredible, pretty outside of all the norms for, for every asset class in the first, uh, the first six months of this year. And you kind of figure that's going to change, right? I mean, everybody gets on one side of the boat 
that mm-hmm. usually means we're we're close to some kind of turn. And it's, it appears that, w- that we have. I mean, we're going to wrap up the week with some solid green candles and mm-hmm. um, that maybe the miners haven't quite recovered yet uh, as much as the as the metals have in the, uh, in the last couple of days. Where are we, given all that's taken place, Bob, uh, on that mining clock of yours, that kind of proprietary thing you came up with? I know every time we have you on, people ask, where's the mining clock? What, what time is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, where are we? Well, you know, the, the mining clock is a, is a great measure of where we are in the long-term cycle. And, you know, as you know, I'm a discretionary portfolio manager, but I'm a, I'm a generalist. I look at the bond market. I look at credit markets. I look at, um, obviously, focus on, on commodities because we, we manage money for senior mining executives. And that's why that mining clock is so important from a long-term perspective. So, so you can gauge kind of where you are in the cycle, because a lot of times in a, in a bull market, it feels really bad. Like it has in the last uh, in the last six or seven months. So, so the bond market, or sorry, the the um, the uh, uh, mining clock has has kind of been stuck in neutral for a couple of years now, right? And maybe mm-hmm. even backing up a little bit because we haven't been progressing because obviously there hasn't been a lot of access to capital for the industry. The market has been very very focused on the fact that the Fed's going to get hawkish sooner or later. Inflation's rising. And um, and uh, obviously that was going that, that was going to be a problem for real rates, et cetera. So so now that we've kind of we've kind of come past this, I think we're still around six thirty seven o'clock. Um, there you know there was a lot of money raised for the sector um, a couple of years ago. It hasn't been a lot raised uh, recently, but I think you know if we get gold kind of kind of pushing the two thousand mark again, we're going to start to get a lot more money into the sector, and that's going to push the clock forward. And what what happens in that case, and just just uh, as a little review here, at um, at at you know five o'clock, six o'clock, you start to get cash takeovers of good projects. That actually happened in two thousand sixteen. It's happening a little bit right now. Um, then you start to raise money in the industry. That happened in twenty twenty. When you raise a lot of money, we're going to start to get some discoveries, right? And when the discoveries happen, everybody says, "Oh my goodness, this was a this was a ten bagger this stock." And, and more money flows into the sector, which means more discoveries happen. But, but as more money flows into the sector looking for great ideas, you kind of run out of ideas as the sector gets a little bit longer. So money goes into kind of, you know, areas where it shouldn't be going into and, and money's wasted and leverage starts to increase. And that's what happens at 9, 10, 11 o'clock. And then the big companies kind of overpay for projects. And, and uh, that, that usually signifies that kind of the end of the cycle. We're a long way from that right now. And that's why I still think we're in that buy zone from four to eight, four to nine is, uh, is, is the buy zone. We're about seven o'clock right now. So we got a long, we got a long way to go. But remember in commodity bull markets, this is the frustrating thing for people is that, you know, 70, 80% of your returns happen in the last 20% as far as time is concerned. Yeah. Right. So, so we got that ahead of us. Which is which is great, but you just got to be aware that when everybody is euphorically positive, um, prices are probably way too high for where they should be. What do you what do you mean? I have kind of a conundrum to ask you about, Bob. You know the mm-hmm. um, it, it it would appear that the Fed will not be able to get Fed funds up above the rate of inflation mm-hmm. before having to pause and even reverse, and so that is kind of enshrining negative real interest rates for really the foreseeable future, which is very good, as you know, and most everyone knows for gold and silver to have negative mm-hmm. real interest rates. Mm-hmm. That's one, that's one positive, but you know, crude oil prices are really sticky as we record this to the back over a hundred dollars a barrel. And that inflation, especially energy inflation is really hurting the miners with their, mm-hmm. with their costs of getting the stuff out of the ground. So there's kind of a, 
catch 22 conundrum there. So what do you, what do you make of that? Is there a price that uh, if gold and silver get above that it kind of outweighs the rising cost to, to get it out of the ground or do we need inflation to come down with steadier prices to make the miners come back up? Well, I think that, you know, the credit markets always lead the equity markets, right? And let's go back to 2007. Credit markets were blowing up in 2007, yeah. but oil prices were hitting, you know, highs. And then even the first part of 2008, before the stock market started to collapse, oil was up at, you know, 120, you yeah. know, um, same as we are now. Then then the great financial crisis happened and went down to 30 the, it, oil prices. Things are different now and i hate to say things are different this time because that's the worst thing you can ever say in the market but (laughs) we we have we have and you bring up an excellent point about energy and i'd like to bring that up how it relates to 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 mining too and um what we what we um have seen obviously is the energy sector is an uninvestable sector right it isn't popular to invest in energy all right. So so there hasn't been a lot of capex in, in the sector. Right. And when you don't have capex in a depleting asset um, scenario, um, you, you get elevated prices that are that are stubborn and they stay up there and it hurts everybody. Right. So what it has to do is if oil prices are going to stay there, everything else is going to have to be elevated. So the gold to oil ratio, gold's going to have to go up pretty significantly to overcome that, which which is great. I think it'll do that. You know, now that the Fed's turning. Um, once you get over 2000, I don't think anybody really cares. Companies are making a lot of money, right? Um, but, but I think what's important here is that, you know, I always like to look at the past and look at history because, again, history doesn't repeat itself, but it, but it rhymes. Look back 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when there was social, or 30 years ago, actually, when there was social and political barriers to a sector or pressures on a sector mm-hmm. that sector was the tobacco sector back yeah. in the mid 1980s right i mean how many people smoke now compared to how many smoked at that time right yep. so yep. you look and you say what a horrible sector to invest in i mean political pressures i mean they you know people you looked at the packages of cigarettes and there was like rotting teeth they put on the packages right to, to discourage people from smoking and things like that how much more could a sector take now interestingly enough when you put that pressure on a sector, you actually create a barrier to entry for that sector and you create a moat around that sector. So from from 1988 till 2008, so 20 years, um, the best performing stock on the Toronto Stock Exchange during that time frame was Rothman's, which was which was a cigarette maker. It was up 12,000 percent in that time frame when the social and political um, barriers were, were just enormous on that on that sector. Um, now, interestingly enough, for all the U.S. listeners, we've had a lot of big wins in the U.S. You know, Microsoft and Apple and all these stocks that were that were not even around many years ago. So everybody thinks, oh God, they must be the best performing stocks. The best performing stock on the New York Stock Exchange was Philip Morris during that time frame. Also, yep. right, yep. the dividends, the cap, the the, yep. the stock buybacks, right. So. I think in energy, that's that's kind of they've created this artificial barrier to entry for these energy companies. I wouldn't be surprised to see these energy companies just cash flowing huge amounts of money. Now let's extend that a little bit further. Mining is kind of right behind um, energy, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, nobody sure likes is. to see a big hole in the ground and an open pit and all that sort of thing, right? So I, I think 
what, what can happen is if you create these barriers to entry for these sectors, this just could be immensely profitable for, for, for oil and gas and, and mining going forward. If, if, you know, there's some differences between tobacco and oil and gas and mining, but, uh, but there's some similarities too. So I just wanted to cover that. I think that's sure. really important looking out, looking out to, over the long run. Well, there's that ESG stuff too. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you know, Eric uh, spoke at the uh, um, PDAC in, in in 2020, and he he started out his talk. He said, I, "I strongly believe in ESG. I'm a big ESG proponent." And then uh, everybody's looking at Eric, and of course, wondering what he's going to say. And he said, "Of course, in my world, ESG stands for exploring for silver and gold." <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, it's great. It's just, I always remember that story. But, but yeah, ESGs. You know, obviously, it's going to be put pressure on a lot of industries over time. But it might have the reverse effect of what we think is going to happen. You know, the other thing is, you know, I heard of a company the other day uh, in in Chile that was, you know, basically they've spent all this work and millions of ounces of of gold, and you know, they're ready to to to, to start not going into production, but thinking about creating a mine. And you know the Chilean government basically said they weren't happy with their um, the company's um, plan to relocate twenty chinchillas. So basically, Jeez, they, they, they stopped the whole plan. Hundreds of millions of dollars in this plan, stocks down eighty percent. So you, you know, so what we might have in the in, in the next few years is we might have you know gold go through the roof, and we might have copper through the roof, and all you know all these commodities that have that have gone up a lot, but. But the juniors really haven't, you know, it, 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 there's going to be winners, but, it, but it's going to be really hard to, to, to create a mine with all these, um, with all these ESG uh, processes. Yeah, parts. and maybe that's why the GDXJ chart, I mean, just looks terrible. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it, it does. It's interesting. And, you know, you look at it, it was, it was $160 um, uh, back, in, uh, back in 2011. And, and here we are at, um, you know, in the, in the, in the low 30s. So I, I, I do think that, you know, and, and I, I do think that's we'll, we'll see that uh, rise absolutely sig- significantly. But um, we, we're going to have to be led out of it by a, but a, by a higher gold price and a higher commodity price. And I think commodity prices will go up more than they normally would have because of all these ESG concerns, et cetera. And that's going to pull all the stocks up, too. So, Bob, I, just as we begin to wrap up and look forward to the month ahead, um, Powell has basically told everybody uh, that data dependency part, like you said. I mean, it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. He said, we have moved expeditiously to the neutral rate he, in the past tense, uh, implying that they are now at a neutral rate. Mm-hmm. And now we are uh, going to be data dependent going forward. We, we've got, we don't have another Fed meeting until the end of September, mm-hmm. August a month where a lot of people go on holiday, you know, so liquidity kind of dries up. We're going to be data dependent. we got the jobs report next Friday. Uh, Powell will be at Jackson Hole by the end of the month. And so that'll be an interesting signal. But do you, are, will you be watching? I know you don't get into the technicals too much, uh, but as you observe price, um, are there other indicators you'll watch now going forward that'll make you feel confident that the lows are in, the worst is behind us? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, we, we all knew, you know, 1675 was the was yeah. kind of the, the big support for, for gold. Yeah. And it kind of got down around that level and the same for silver in the mid 1800s. But, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't look too closely at that because I just look and say, hey, if I, if I wanted to keep going down as long as I'm putting in more money, because I'm a lot right. more longer term investor, right? If you're, if you're worried about catching the bottom, then, 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 then you worry about that sort of stuff, which is, which is fine. But I just think I, I pay a lot of attention to sentiment, right? 
And it's funny on Twitter, right? You see all the bots yeah. and everybody coming out and saying silver's going to 10 bucks or whatever. And that really exploded in the last little while. <laughs> That's one of the best indicators you could possibly have. And when, when you get to that point where sentiment is so, so terrible, um, it's a really a real asymmetrical return profile from that perspective. Asymmetrical return profile means your downside is 10%, 15%. Your upside is hundreds of percent in some of right. these stocks, right? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but obviously that, you know, mathematically it's, you're skewed to make money, right? Your maximum you can ever lose on a, on a, on a position is hundred percent, but you can make 500,000 percent, right? And, and I know I've mentioned this before, but that's something that Eric always said about the mining sector. He said, I love it because the lows are so low, the highs are so high that the difference is a thousand percent. And that's, not the case in any other sector, right? So, so this is the time where you just get greedy and you say, oh my, my God, everybody's on the one side of the trade. Sentiment is so terrible. Um, my, my, my downside's very small and my upside's um, very, very big. And if I could just take 30 seconds here, Craig, one of the greatest, um, you know, invest money managers ever, Stanley Druckenmiller, right? And, and uh, they, they um, him and uh, the Quantum Fund, they, they kind of broke the Bank of England, as they say, in the early 90s. He went to George Soros with a trade and said, you know, because of the European exchange rate mechanism, I think the pound's going to drop a lot. I think our downside, if we short the pound, is maybe we lose 3%. But I think our upside is 15 to 20%. That was a perfect asymmetrical return profile. And that was just because of the structure of the market at that time. You know, Soros said to me, he said, that's probably the best trade I've ever seen. How much of the firm's capital do you want to put in? And he said, you know, Dr. Miller said, I knew Soros kind of swung for the fences. So he said 100% of the, of the firm's capital. And, uh, and Soros looked at him and he said, you haven't learned anything. I told you this was the best trade I've ever seen. Put 200% of the mm. firm's capital mm. into it, right? So, so they made a lot of money. But I think that's the important thing is, and Paul Tudor Jones has said that he's made the most amount of his money at the extremes, at the euphoric extreme and at the absolute worst sentiment extreme. And, and that's right now. That's when you get the asymmetrical return profiles. Um, right at this time. And again, we don't know whether it's going to be this month, next month, or the next month, but we know that when you know the economy is cratering, the economy can't take these interest rate increases like this, and, and they're going to have to reverse course at some point, and that's when things explode on the upside. And that's the way it's worked in the past. Uh, oh. I, I just might direct everybody, while you're at SprottMoney.com, check the Insights tab. Uh, there are articles each week from uh, that I write and that David Brady writes. David wrote a great one. Uh, it was posted, I think, yesterday about where we go from here. And I wrote something uh, back on Tuesday with some of the uh, recent history of when gold has rallied as the Fed has tried to catch up. And it, the last three rallies have been 30%, 30%, and 50% all in six to eight months. And so you can double that, double that with silver, easy. right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And silver was double that. Mm -hmm. And like you said, when, when everybody's on one side of the boat and so bearish, uh, that's the time. And, and it, you mentioned the bullion banks too, Bob. Everybody recognizes that, you know, if you follow the metals and you watch the commitment of traders reports, when you get all the specs in the hedge funds long and the banks are heavily short, everybody just rolls their eyes and goes, oh God, here it comes. They're going to smash price. But nobody wants to ever think that it goes the other way when mm -hmm. the speculators are all short. And the banks are long. It's like, well, oh boy. And that's exactly what we've had. I, I would think you probably see this the same way. The last couple of days, as sharply as silver's moved up, it's probably a major short covering rally to begin with of those uh, hedge funds. 
Yeah, and every great bull market starts with a short covering rally right. because it comes off that capitulation and puking, which right. is which is what we've seen. And 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 you know, interesting enough, um, the gold COT was 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 great. The the silver COT was absolutely phenomenal. But another COT report, um, and I mentioned this because Sprout Money sells platinum. Was was the platinum trade? It looked very really? similar, very similar to silver as far as the CO two report, right? And uh, obviously, uh, obviously, Sprott Money sells platinum. So there you go. While you're at SprottMoney.com, check out. Uh, I'm sure there's some deals in the summer sale in platinum. <laughs> I don't own a single ounce of platinum, Bob. I, you know yeah. what? Maybe I should. It'd be kind of fun to have. Yeah, it is. You know, I I, I bought a few ounces, and it it kind of it's it's this grayish metal, so it looks yeah. uh, it looks very similar to silver, a little bit. Uh, uh, um, you know, quite different than gold. I, and remember, you remember platinum used to be double the price of gold. Here's a yeah, guy, right? right. Yeah. So, and maybe I can quiz friends when they come over and hand them a coin <laughs> of platinum and a coin <laughs> of silver and see if they can tell the difference. Yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob. Hey, before we go, again, your day job is uh, you're a private money manager at Raymond mm-hmm. James in Vancouver. I would imagine some Canadian citizens would love to get your take on a few things. How can they contact you? Sure. You know, we do. We actually do a report called the Gold Digger. And at oh, the gold right. diggers, yeah, and yep. that's mainly made for mining executives with concentrated equity positions in 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 mining stocks. But we we talk about the markets, um, put this interview in there, etc. Um, so so yeah, it's it's the gold digger, and it's probably coming out again next week. But um, you can uh, um, email uh, Thompson T O T H O M P S O N Investments at RaymondJames.ca. There you go. Thompson Investments at RaymondJames.ca. And uh, yeah, definitely get on that that mailing list. And I love the name. I think that's a fantastic <laughs> kind of play on words. Excellent. Yeah. Bob, you're the best. It's always good to hear from you. Um, and uh, we very much appreciate all this input. I hope you have another three-day weekend. Can you tell I'm jealous? <laughs> oh, it's, it, it's terrible here, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> it's just awful. You're in Vancouver where it's beautiful and you get a three-day weekend. <laughs> Uh, anyway, right. thank you, Bob. And um, uh, hopefully we'll have to make sure we visit again as, before we get to the end of the year, because I'm sure there'll be lots more to talk about. Sounds great, Craig. Look forward to it. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, visit SprottMoney.com for that Sprott Summer Sale. And uh, be sure to check back all through August for more great content from Sprott Money. Have a great weekend, everyone.